I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of The Bip Show is brought to you by OpenTrader. OpenTrader is Australia's most competitive, self-directed retail trading platform for professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. It provides chess-sponsored trading accounts and award-winning charts, combined with ongoing educational support and training. You'll get full autonomy on how you select stock and detailed info on performance across multiple metrics to help you make robust decisions. Open Trader. Invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. I am Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group. I'm here as always with James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. How are you now, Paul? And from Amsterdam, he's back with us, Ken Vexler, Director at Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm well, Colgo, and uh, enjoying being back in the seat, uh, just working on the Ask Group as we speak. Uh, very good. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday, June the 10th, 2021. Uh, there was a big and perhaps surprising move in bond markets overnight. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars, tell your friends, post glowing stuff about us on social media, etc. This is a special episode of The Bip Show. As you know, we are sponsored for this season by Open Trader. Trade like a pro from only $5 per trade, which is part of the Open Markets Group. Um, our guest this week is the CEO of Open Markets Group, Ivan Chirilov. I promise this is not going to be all about how great Open Trader is because Ivan is a seasoned <laughs> trader himself, especially in derivatives, uh, we, uh, which have been in the news so much over the past year with GameStop, etc., as well as currencies and futures. We may talk about Open Trader and Open Markets along the way, of course. Uh, we're delighted that his company is supporting our show, um, but he's very much our kind of guest. Uh, Ivan Chirilov, welcome to the BIP Show. Thank you very much for having me. But just so you know, it is the best platform. It's the best. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's talk quickly about the um, US Treasuries. Um, uh, overnight yields back down below 1.5%, amazingly. Uh, kills the excitement around inflation uh, a bit. But uh, I will put this to the group. Um, why do you think that is? Ken, I know you were canvassing views on this last night. Ken goes first. Yeah, um, look, I think... We need to maybe take a step back ever so briefly and, and recognise the fact that this morning, at least here this morning, we're hugging 150 on the US 10-year, which is all of, I don't know, what, 19 maybe basis points off, uh, off the cycle high. So it's not exactly a huge uh, retracement as such. But I think we have to factor in the fact that uh, we had non-farms last week, which came in a little softer than market anticipated, which was the second month running. Yeah, 419, uh, I, I was calling infl- 1.2 million, uh, so wrong. Yeah, yeah. well, you, well you, you weren't the only one to get that excited. Um, and ultimately, I think, Absolutely. you know, it, it puts pay to the argument that not so much that inflation may be transitory, but the market has digested everything that it can ahead of time. And now, unless, like, for example, this afternoon, we've got some CPI prints out of the US again, uh, unless these numbers come in just 
absolutely, you know, brilliantly over the, over the next few prints. Uh, there's, there's scant reason to be excited about the fact that, you know, uh, rates are going to be raised anytime soon or there's going to be tapering imminent uh, out of the US and the like. So I think basically this is the market just digesting it. I think it's basically a bit of position rationalisation. And, you know, it's not like we're back at 120. We're, as I said, we're, we're sub 20 points off the cycle highs. So I think we just sort of wait and see. Uh, and, and honestly, I also think that um, this might be a consequence of some real money coming back into the market and thinking, well, might be a good time to actually own some duration here. So I don't think it's anything more conspiratorial than, than that. Well, I saw a story today um, that Verizon, um, you know, one of the uh, American corporate titans, is sitting on $10 billion in cash. Uh, and there's banks in the States that are trying to get their clients to not hold cash in bank accounts because they're maybe, you know, the cash accounts are returning 10 basis points. Uh, now, this is exactly what the low-yield uh, world is, is, supposed, is to, supposed to do, yeah. is like get your money busy, get it out there. To, like if Verizon is sitting there with $10 billion in cash, go and buy something. Yeah. You know? go, <laughs> like go and set something up. Go and invest it. You know? Buy some assets. Uh, yeah. yeah. But we, we've, we've seen this, uh, you know, over the years in Europe as well. I mean, we've had negative rates and whatever else. It's the transmission mechanism, and we've spoken about it on previous episodes even with regard to Australia, you can – stimulate as much supply as is humanly possible, as central banks have done over the years. But that's not necessarily going to manifest in, uh, in greater demand. So that trans- transmission mechanism and that willingness to go out there and actually do something with all this free money, it, it's, it's, it's a tough stick. Yeah, you need the ideas, and uh, one of my favourite things over the years has been uh, uh, Victor Schwetz, the uh, head of equity strategy at Macquarie, uh, he wrote a piece uh, a few years back saying, okay, it's time for a global Mars program, right? So let's just do this. Let's just like set up a giant global project to go to Mars ah. because we'll do all, lots of technology innovation along the way. Governments should be spending on it. Private sector can get involved. Like something needs to suck up all this available capital. Like uh, Kennedy in the early in 60s. In the 60s, yeah. Like, we're, yeah, we're going to go to the moon and we're going to come back. Yeah, and you think of all the technology that flowed uh, out of that, um, it's a nice idea. So, in in Russia, they uh, before the revolution, the uh, the rich aristocrats they used to play a game as to how long can you keep a fire going with your cash. <laughs> I think uh, inflation is not, re- no, not not really a thing. That's nothing. Yeah. The main question marks over the market at the moment, and uh, I I don't uh, I'm not making any massive moves until these questions get answered. Which is first off, is inflation a thing? And is it not transitory or transitory? Second off, then what does the Fed actually say they're going to do? Or what do people think that they're going to do? And then third, will the market actually react uh, negatively to what the Fed wants to do? And then fourth, will the Fed actually give a rat's? And, and and those four questions sort of stack on top of each other. And we're sort of going to be in a holding pattern for the next few months. And that's uh, that's how that's going to go. I just wanted to ask, actually, and this is something I've, I've been curious. It's not, not just aimed at you, James. It's a general one. But I'm curious what time frame people use to gauge whether inflation is transitory versus non-transitory. Like, you know, over, over what period of time will you sit back, you or anyone, sit back and go, OK, actually, it's not transitory. It's here. It's here to stay. It's going. Or, or maybe it's not. That I mean, is, I've, I've asked the same question. I actually don't know the answer to it. It's a very mm. interesting question because – uh, 
I have a view, having lived through high inflation in Ireland uh, during the boom, that it feeds itself, right? So, like, the Fed has said, okay, we're going to get comfortable with something like four, right? Um, but we need it to settle down into two to three, right? So, and we think if there's a pulse that gets it up to four, uh, and market consensus for tonight's numbers is, we're a few hours away from it now, uh, is I think 34 Right, uh, that we'd be happy to see it to go to four, but we need to get it like uh, sustainably in two to three percent. Now, problem is if you've got a high inflation environment, people are getting paid more, so uh, businesses know they can start to charge more, so they start to do that, and it just feeds the inflation, and everybody starts thinking, you know what, I can, you know, I can start putting up my prices a little bit, um, or businesses' costs are going up because of the wage pressures and etc. So, like, what is it like to your point, Ken? Is it six months of like rampant um, inflation? You know, would they be okay with you know a four point two or four point five maybe? Um, but I don't know. We're, we're going to have to see. It's certainly going to be very interesting. I, I'm now of the view um, that it's all these numbers are going to start to come in really disappointing. <laughs> I think, the, and I had this conversation with our with our risk guy um, who used to run risk at, at the ASX about um, this exact topic yesterday, and. Um, I, I'm actually of the view with him that this is going to be a massive non-event. And even if the come, if the numbers, if they do, if they surprise either way, the market's already so freaked out by inflation. It's on, in the tech sector, um, in particular, and obviously that's now driving so much of the of the S and P 500. Um, you know, and in Australia, it's about twenty percent off or whatever it is. Um, so I think what what you'll what you'll see tonight is it's just going to be a. It's all baked in. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the uncertainty is baked in. Yeah. And so everyone's sitting there going, oh, there's going to be some mass volatility. Like, I mean, for my business, I would like volatility and also would like low inflation because, you know, obviously the tech sector listing. But um, it's... Are you listing? You, oh, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> we were you know, that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's okay. <laughs> OMG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it's been... Um, yeah, it'll be massively overreacting. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. Like four point two or something tonight would be like, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Fed saying, well, that's just, this is what we wanted to do, mm. <laughs> um, and we've told you what we're going to do. Mm, yeah. it, you know, so um, and we'll crush yields anyway. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah and th- that's the thing. The toolbox is so big now mm. um, that if there are issues, there's lots of different ways they can intervene. I, seriously, and sorry for anyone who's who's a regulator um, uh, that may listen, but. If a human being, or like a private trader, did what any of the central banks are doing, they'd be in jail. Like, it is absolutely market manipulation. Like, absolutely. Anyway, rant over. Mm, I, mm, is it? I mean, you mean, what, forward guidance? Ah, oh, well, I mean, okay, take, take our local uh, central bank um, uh, not allowing um, uh, short selling of bonds when, when yields started popping up. I mean, that's not normal. So uh, Ivan, a big part of your trading career was in um, uh, derivatives. Uh, Recovering day trader. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. What is it, um, an 11 or 12 step program or something? It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's way longer. <laughs> yeah, it's 15 and a half okay. steps. So I, I got my coins, the a few bitcoins for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, have you been surprised, because it, 
like for a long time, it was kind of a weird corner of the market. Um, have you been surprised but by how this thing about like puts and calls um, have been popularized? And there's like there's giant Reddit boards, discussion boards talking about um, call options on stonks. And so I, I, I'm just wondering how, how, what it's been like watching that from your perspective. Um, so we do also have a, a business called Implied Volatility, which um, which we run out of out of Melbourne with with a colleague of mine, um, and um, that is a option specialist platform um, for derivatives traders here in Australia. Um, that came out of the ASX options game that we built for in two thousand sixteen or whatever, um, and so we kind of went created a real time education system uh, for for simulating option strategies to then go in and and let people trade the same thing for real. And um, we, I mean, we've seen some interesting activity going in the market in, in Australia. I mean, Australian derivatives is not doing as well as it is in the US, for example, because, you know, we still have CFDs and binary options and um, dodgy coins, as I like to call them. But uh, we haven't seen on that platform, we actually haven't seen um, outside of, I think, one guy who went, really crazy on some low exercise price options and lipos. We haven't seen anybody blow up. Um, and in fact, we've actually seen some really good performance come out of, uh, out of people trading during COVID. People have made some significant money on our platform. And I think that where, uh, you know, and I've, I've spent sort of seven or eight years um, building risk management systems in Australia that are now used by, by large majority of the retail brokers and seeing that you know how how people think about options and the lack of education is the biggest problem to that market if you don't know what you're doing if you don't understand volatility and what that means to pricing you should not touch options is 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 a simple way of doing it so you know so they should be practicing and, and playing around now um i think that um just like any other trading instrument you know you you got to know what you're doing. You got you got you got to have a, a plan in place, and and um, you know you've got to have the right discipline and and the psychology to actually be able to go out and 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 do it. Um, the popularization. I mean, in Australia, all we've seen is just you know rocket emojis for for different stocks that may or may not be solvent. So you know, as a hello ASX stock tips. Uh, Hope you're all listening. It's 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 a thing. Um, you know. I, I, it, I did this presentation where actually my marketing guys came up with with some with a funny line, which was that, you know, it used to be people used to listen to people at the pub to take their, you know, shitty trade ideas. Mm. Now it's called Reddit, which yeah. is the COVID <laughs> version of guy down at the pub. And uh, I don't know, I think, you know, the way, the way that we're looking at it more broadly is that we think that, um, you know, more and more people are moving towards, towards online. Um, they want online experiences, lower cost and et cetera. And that doesn't mean that, you know, the space for advice isn't there. I think that what it actually means is that there is a whole heap of technology that needs to come in to be able to support the growth in online participation. And that's education, that's robo, probably not in the way that we think of robo today, but actually guiding the, you know, 88.8% of people who don't have financial advice right now at the time when they most need it, right? Still one or two people will go and retire and they will not have enough to, they will have to rely on the pension. Uh, Where do you see robo going? Uh, I think that um, uh, my view on it is, uh, I'll give you my slightly conflicted view on this, um, that um, I think that, so we, we, we support um, 
a lot of kind of the trading companies, like superheroes, self-wealth, and et cetera. Yep. We also support with our technology a lot of the robos, most of the robos that, that are in Australia, so um, Stockspot and Sixpark and et cetera. And I think that they've got a very good solid foundation. The way that we're thinking about it is um, robo needs to excel in areas of curation of, of advice and instruments. And it's kind of, you know, you, you go to a like a platform um, if you get an online access and essentially it's just product after product. How do you pick? And so um, whereas for the, you know, for 80% of the people out there, they're just going to save more and spend less money on shit they don't need, really. I mean, that's that's your plan. Put away $100 a week as young as possible and you're probably going to retire. Um, you won't need the pension. At least is a, is a simple solution to that. And, you know, there's, in that one paragraph, we've basically solved all of the, you know, all of the problems in, in the future. So instead of, uh, you know, Verizon sitting on $10 billion, you know, just, just give away a billion to some poor people and, and make sure that they invest and lock it up in a trust or something. You'd be surprised, you know, at the, at the long-term benefit to the, to the economy out of that. But I, I think that so the robo part is it's – there is – I think the way that we, we – when we say robo, we think of um, some, you know, some fucking bot sitting in the background kind of curating shit for you. Um, I think there's a, there's a personal touch. It's just you need to get technology to go in and, and take out the, the, the day-to-day shit as much as possible and just focus on the, you know, the way the humans can actually do the, do the curating. Um, and that, I think, is, is where we're going to see advice. So it's going to be not just direct robo, but it's going to be movements. Can I, can I just ask you on the derivative stuff? Uh, if the market is small on participation platforms here in Australia, um, does that affect, uh, like, what are they trading? Are they trading... Uh, options on U.S. stocks, or is it in uh, Australian stocks? And how does that affect liquidity if it's small on the retail side? Uh, so, yeah, there there is a, a small subset of people who do go in and trade in U.S. out of Australia, um, and they're they're pretty active. Um, I don't know the exact numbers; I couldn't tell you. In terms of the guys that we see, um, so liquidity is fine. Uh, it's because it's all um, managed by market makers, and we've got some pretty big market makers um, uh, here, um, and um, uh, yeah, for the top sort of 20 to 30 stocks, you will be able to get away volume without any problems. Right, so ASX, tw- ASX 20, 20, yeah, okay. yeah, 20, yeah. 30. Um, it's about 75 um, uh, stocks that do have options over them. Uh, that that number is increasing and that is supported by, I mean, you just got to look at how uh, how many market makers are there or in the implied volatility platform, you can go in and see a thumbs up in the stock screen or um, shameless plug. Hey, who's sponsoring this? This is Open Trader Implied Volatility, damn it. Anyway. <laughs> I was literally just about to read an ad, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, 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 can, I can do my own ads. It's fine. Uh, yeah. That's right. I, I, I don't actually know what, what, what we came up with. So it's, good. it's just the best trading platform. Do you have the ad? Yeah, yeah. Go on, to the end. This episode of The Bib Show is brought to you by OpenTrader for professional traders and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. I think maybe you do it better than I do. (laughs) I have to listen to the next one where you'll do it, so... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I do it in a, a deep, booming uh, James booming do, does give good at yeah, uh, radio voice. I do read some good <laughs> – co- uh, so, uh, rookie traders? You want to talk about rookie tra- – uh, I do, actually. Um, so, um, uh, so one thing um, – so I heard some wild stories uh, last year about uh, the numbers of people who were joining trading platforms, uh, like giant numbers. Um, Crossed over a million traders in Australia. Pardon me, crossed over a million yeah. traders. Yeah, it's about sitting at about one point two now. From from what base? Ah, oh, seven hundred or something. Seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. So another half million people. Welcome. 
Hi. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you're still with us. Yeah, that's right. And look, um, uh, so, and it was equities in particular. Mm. Um, uh, so, but, but maybe talk me through the experience that you had at Open Trader. Like, what were the volumes like? Did you know that this was, when did you start seeing it? So I came into open markets, um, we, we took a controlling stake in December 2019, or well, we, we negotiated stake in at that point in time. So we, we obviously didn't expect COVID to happen. Uh, but at that point in time, um, we, on, on the option side of our, of, of our trading business, we actually started putting out, um, we used to do webcasts every week, which is now done by, by other people. But we used to do weekly podcasts and we started talking about that this, there's some serious asymmetric risk in here because Chinese supply started really drying down. Things started, you know, people started talking about this stuff in January, February. And, and, um, and so, um, you know, so that kind of thing where everyone freaked out in March, April and went, oh, well now we're in lockdown and now we've got nothing else to do. So, and we can't go to the, you know, we, we can't do anything other than gamble. There's no sports and there's no, there's no, exactly. So, you know, so what do you do? Where do you unleash your, your, your frustrations? Um, and so, <laughs> and so it's my career, you know, <laughs> it's mine as well. Uh, and so, um, there was, there's been a general move towards, uh, about 24 months has been, uh, an increase in retail participation in Australia by 81%. And that's for the first time you would ever see a, an actual, um, <coughs> kind of growth that, that um, you know, retail's actually doing a lot more volume than ever before as a percentage-wise. And it's actually been quite static at about 13% of the market prior to for years and years and years. Um, and so um, we started seeing this occur in January 2020 when you had a lot more people starting to adopt um, digital solutions. Um, and what COVID did is actually just accelerated the adoption of digital products. Now, um, so we, as, as, as open markets, so uh, open trade is a, it does have, it's a most, it's a sophisticated platform. Um, it essentially it's people that would be trading through Iris would be using open trader, um, because it's, it's an, it's a yeah, real time streaming. It, it, it goes forwards towards a more professional crowd as it is. Um, but we do also see volume as, as open markets as a clear across, um, well, we between the second and third largest retail broker, depending on, on which month you look. Um, and we've been a big winner out of that because of sort of people going towards online solutions. So what we've seen is um, there's been some very odd decisions made in some cases, but the real untold story, I think, is what I, what's been happening in the background. We see some really big accounts that have been taking money away from active funds and putting it into passive ETF investments. And we've got like 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar private names in the, in the platform. Do you mean create. active uh, fu- uh, funds, actively managed funds and institutions? Yeah, and yeah. basically pulling them from platforms. Right. And so that, that's become a real theme. Um, there's been a, a theme around um, advisors um, and, and IFAs moving towards uh, model portfolios a lot more, um, and um, which, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, because obviously, you know, you're cutting cutting several layers of cost out. Um, and so there is there is the thing Where, where they buy like an MSCI, like they buy a Vanguard, they buy... Um, yeah, or, or, uh, or a, even, a, a, or even a model portfolio of stocks. And there's some really oh, okay. cool technology yeah, yeah. now which says, you know, we've, you know, let's say our research guide designs a model portfolio. We, we don't actually build model portfolios, but, you know, it's a thing that 
done in some guys that I know who uh, you're talking about. Yeah. Like the Stocks Down Under guys, for example, built a model portfolio. And I think everyone's starting to, to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, now there's really cool technology, which we also do provide, although we don't own it yet. Um, but uh, it, can, it allows you to go in and say, um, you know, for example, you have a thing against ANZ and you've got a thing against CBA. So we'll like, create this custom curated portfolio for you and then all of the technology in the background will go in and do the rebalancing, et cetera. And it, it, like, it's really cool tech, which kind of makes things like that possible. So you don't actually have to just go to an ETF now. You can go in and simulate portfolios and, and, you know, and actually provide advice to your clients. And um, so, yeah, but, but, but what, we, what we have seen is there's that sensibilization of, you know, it's easy to pick a target like, hey, you're 12, sorry, they'll be slightly older than me, you're 13 and you're trading on the market <laughs> and, you know, and you've just went and bought, you know, Hertz, which is when it's a voluntary administration or GameStop or whatever. I mean, it's an easy crowd to do. Uh, to, uh, and to, to your to point abuse. about earlier from the guy who does stock tips at the bar, mm. now you put it on Reddit and you, ha- you have like 50,000 traders or whatever yeah, uh, yeah. that you can exactly. access. It's like yeah. your whole attention's there. And I never actually understood why Reddit became a thing. I, there was a one girl in the office who goes, you should start thinking about looking at Reddit. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like it's February uh, 2020. <laughs> like, what does it do, this Reddit? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and because I would, like I, you know, you had the hot coppers and the Aussie stock forums and, and those kind of places that I thought would be the natural home for this stuff. And they weren't, you know, and you'd say, yeah, okay, yeah. and then suddenly you get like this thing that no one knows about it outside of America and everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's go. Oh, this has got an emoji with a rocket on it. Let's <laughs> let's go buy this whatever the fuck we do. And as long as you have enough, you know, keywords in there, key buzzwords in there, then of course the stock's destined to just go yeah, and, then and the hedge, to the stars. Yeah, and then the hedge funds. And then the hedge funds. Following it. Yeah, Well, which I think was the, un- the part of, you know, you, you said the phrase earlier, but, the, you know, the untold. We did cover it on a show at the time, but there were some hedge funds who – saw this happening and they got long GameStop and they just rode yeah. what the traders were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pearl Paradise it, Investments sold out in September of GameStop, which was... Yeah, <laughs> I, re- I reckon they, yeah. they had, had a bit of a look at the short sell reports as well because that was a pretty heavily shorted stock at that yeah. point in time. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's, you know, um, at the end of the day, you've got people who are experienced in markets and have enough balance sheet to do crazy stuff. And I think that... Uh, yeah, the the way that they get the masses is, I mean, it's Reddit today. It was was it's hot copper, you know, ten years ago, and it's going to be something else in ten years. It is, I, I I will say this to anybody who's listening, um, you you might be following somebody on hot copper or somebody something who's got you know lots of great tips, etc. You do not know their motivations. You don't know who they are. Be very, very careful because they'll tip and tip and tip and you'll win five and then all of a sudden they'll come and railroad you or use you for uh, whatever it is they're trying mm. to do. Um, and even if they're genuine, they could be looking at different time frames, right? Like so, Everyone's got a different time correct. frame. Correct. And so that's the... Yeah. The, biggest, uh, the biggest argument that happens without an argument actually happening in FinTwit... Um, what is this? Uh, you know, uh, Twitter... Oh, for for the finance types, Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, FinTwit is is the argument of just like I like this stock, I don't like this stock, I like this argument, I like this theme. You're like a big Twitter guy, aren't you? Like I remember, I'm a pretty big Twitter yeah, guy. You were yeah, a early, yeah, yeah. But everyone's got a different time frame. I tried and to put a few posts, no one liked me. No, yeah. Well, did you? Like, can, I, can I buy your Twitter account? Yeah, no, you can't <laughs> buy my Twitter account. It's unsellable. But 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 the, but the, but the biggest problem that people have is is that everyone's got a different time frame. 
some people are ten minutes, some people are ten years, yeah, and both both could be right. Both, having, both could good, be wrong. I was having a chat to someone in my office uh, who, who knew a little bit about Newix, and uh, and just when it dropped below its listing listed price, I went, "Oh, this is this is like this is something I actually want to have a look at." And he goes, oh, don't touch it, man. Like, seriously, <laughs> I, I know some of the stuff. And I'm like, so, and so then the next day it popped like 16% to the upside. I'm like, that's, that's, that's all I was thinking of. Yeah. Like, <laughs> one, yeah. yeah, one day he's thinking one year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh he's um, thinking, yeah, he's thinking. Yeah. It, 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 let's, I, I want to put something uh, to the group. Uh, and Ken, maybe I'll start with you. Um, uh, uh, we, we've, we've done something similar like this before, but basically the mistakes rookie traders make, like, so – and I don't want to say rookie traders like people who have no experience, etc. But people who haven't done this professionally for a long time, where they've had to manage risk and think about uh, returns, etc. Um, what are the easy pitfalls? Uh, would you say, Ken? Um, bloody hell, Colin! Jesus, uh, it's been a very long time. Um, let's see, uh, rookie pitfalls: probably not planning things, not planning the trade, not having a viable, you know, entry exit. Or rationale for why you're in a trade, you know, stock goes up, yay, stock goes down, boo, uh, you know, and and the other thing actually, they're probably they're watching their PL tick for tick, literally every second. So you know, when when things are green and everything's happy, you know, happy days keep going, but as soon as something ticks over red, uh, they pull the pin, and they might be well well and truly premature just because. Oh, who knows why, why anything's gone red momentarily. So that's probably, you know, for me, uh, a big thing. But, mate, I started out north of 25 years ago, so I don't know. I had, I had phones thrown at me for making mistakes, so I learned pretty quickly. <laughs> James? Planning the trade and having the idea that you have and then backing it and ignoring the noise. Like, you know what it is that you want to invest in. You know what it is that you want to do for, for whatever time frame it is. It could be the day, it could be the year, it could be the you know, for, for, for 10 years, you have it, you know why you're in it, ignore everyone else. And that's, that, 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 that's it. Everyone just gets so caught up in the noise, CNBC and, and, and Bloomberg, and they're great. They're great information channels. They're fantastic. Podcasts, Podcasts idiots, you know, just, just, just so much noise. It's all just, it's all just stuff. Like, like, like you know what you're in, just buy it or sell it. And be in it. And if the narrative changes, then change. But if it doesn't, then go and do something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what about you, Ivan? Um, how do you, like, I mean, obviously you, you see an awful lot of data as well um, uh, from where you sit on uh, things that go well and things that go wrong. Uh, what would you say, like, what would your top advice be to uh, traders who are kind of starting out and still learning, like particularly if you've like surfed this equity rally over the last <laughs> six, eight months, you know, you're up a hundred percent. Like oh, this is easy. Uh, um, the, the first thing is uh, we've got over 200,000 accounts. So I don't, before people think that I'm a stalker sitting there looking at people's positions, I really don't. I've got, <laughs> I've got other things to do in, in my life. Um, but uh, it's one thing that, I, that that is important for anyone who does want to pursue this seriously as a career and et cetera. Um, one thing that I've learned that, um, you know, like people, the way that we're wired, we really don't like being wrong or someone telling us that we're wrong. And so the thing that people 
really get wrong quite often is they think that whatever they've decided to do is the right idea. And if it's going wrong, they'll fall in love with their position and they don't think rationally. There's one trader who said in one of the Market Wizards books, would, you know, you can always get back in the trade. Just go flat, close it out, then re- 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 reassess your situation. Like most of the time, people will not go back into that position again. You know, they, if you close it. And so that whole um, kind of admitting to yourself that you're wrong and almost rewiring your brain. And like I used to be very active, so I used to trade 100 plus round trips a day. And, um, and, and so, you know, you see something and then you suddenly lose money and you go, well, actually that really was a bad idea. And that actually helped me quite a lot in, um, in everything that came after in, in my entrepreneurial career because I've basically rewired my, my brain to the point where like someone tells me, I'm wrong. okay, I'm wrong. Like move on. Like, you know, like kind of, I make a lot of decisions very quickly and I'll change them the next day because that was a really stupid decision. Ivan. slap yourself on the face and never do that again. So I think that, but, but that key, that is a very big key. Um, and it's, you know, it's trading psychology, it's risk that you alluded to, but it all comes down to the fact that when you're wrong, admit you're wrong and, and move on. Yeah. Yeah. And you absolutely see some of that emotion coming through in the, uh, you know, in bulletin boards, et cetera, talking about, you know, particular stock, like, oh, you know, the market doesn't understand yeah. <laughs> how valuable this company is. It should be trading at 4,000% more. And they've probably never even looked at the PL or came to an investor briefing, but that's okay. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's really, and um, uh, for anybody who's interested, I've just finished reading a fantastic book by uh, a woman called Julia Galef called The Scout Mindset, and it's all about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about um, uh, learning how to be wrong comfortably, mm-hmm. um, uh, all about thinking about like how to, you know, when somebody presents you with uh, an idea that conflicts with your view of the world or your values or whatever, like how to... Mm-hmm. Um, take that as something useful to you uh, and uh, super helpful. And I think very timely book as well, but given the way that, you know, people talk about each other now at the moment. Uh, mm. So Ivan, one of the things is you talk about, um, well, I'm told you talk about, you know, part of your mission being about democratizing um, access to wealth and wealth creation, right? So um, FinTech developments, and I uh, did a lot on this when I was running Business Insider, you know, um, there's been a lot of promise in that. Uh, over the years, um, but there are also constant challenges, right, um, around things like what we've just been talking about, people believing they can beat the market, um, and frankly, the not uncommon phenomenon of uh, snake oil uh, salespeople in the financial industry who ride hype trains and uh, like crypto or other things to get people to, you know, part with their money, invest with them. Um, and of course, one of the big challenges in Western countries um, over the past decade or two has been this widening inequality as, you know, asset holders um, have benefited from the inflation and asset prices um, that has been fueled largely by um, by low interest rates from central banks. Um, but how do you think about technology um, from where you sit offering actual practical solutions to to some of that? Uh, so assume it's specific, specifically towards fintech, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think one of the things that um, we've, we've really seen is um, the cost of acquiring a client is – Massive, um, you know, it could be up to about a thousand dollars per client per lead, or so per, per an actual client that will go on and, and buy something. This so is it, for um, a fund or uh, uh, typically some online fintech. 
Okay. Like, so it's a few marketing, right, et cetera, right? right? Okay. Um, uh, and our, our cost of acquisition is, is not too different to that. No, it's a little bit lower because a lot of that is still relied on word of mouth and et cetera. But um, that cost of acquisition means that if you are a fintech and you're trying to um, cut out fees or democratize and you're coming from a position of no scale, it's very hard to pay that back, right? So, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're making $20 – a month, for example, then you're going to be you know, paying it back for a very, very long time yep. just to break even on that client. So where where we see our position um, over the next five years is we think that um, there's a great position um, in the market to actually act as that um, kind of the glue for that. Um, and so um, what we've embarked on is to go on and build an ecosystem where you come into our environment will market will become that sort of um, economies of scale if you will for the smaller fintechs uh, i'm going to sound like the shopify guy now arming the rebels um but uh but the idea is is that we can onboard a client do the kyc in a single one in, in, in terms of all of the cost of actually acquiring a client we get and then we distribute that client over across all of the different fintechs um and what what we see at the moment is the cost of developing stuff is significantly underestimated to go in and build a like the six parks and 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 the stock spots have been going for like six years right and like they've 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 nailed what they do um but that's taken that long to get a you know four or five portfolios into you know what, what seems like we've got like just a spreadsheet that you go in and say okay like this is my this is my risk appetite mm. and off you go so what we what we see is we see a lot of these different companies coming in uh, coming in at wealth in different ways from a technology point of view. And, and, you know, first you start out going, I've got a great idea, this is what's missing. And then you build it and then you go, shit, now I need revenue. Um, shit, I need to raise money. Oh, shit, I now don't have no revenue. Yeah, and how do I get customers? And then you, the, the cost and then, of yeah. re- attracting all those customers it's remains correct. prohibitively high if you want to try and scale, yeah, and correct. do it every time, $1,000 every time. For exactly. Yeah. And so and if that's if you've got the know-how to go in and market your product properly to go on and build brand. We've got five people working in marketing and they are absolute machines. Um, lots of experience and, and et cetera. And, you know, and it, it, it takes them a long time to go on and, and do stuff because they think about you know, how to position the brand and et cetera. So most of these fintechs will have about three or four people in the whole company. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, you know, and that's, that's before you start using freelancers, et cetera. So uh, it's difficult to go on and address one part of the market. And so I think that where we're going sort of to, to tie up to the to the previous point that I made uh, was that, you know, where, where we see it is is trying to go in and, and, and combine these different um, companies together. So, you know, companies like Perla that you probably have never heard of yet, um, that you will at some point in time, that, that concentrate on, on, on passive investing and, um, and sort of long-term, they call it, I think, like a Nancy Robin Hood, I think is the, they, they were uh, described by Alex in, in the AFR. Yeah. Um, you know, then you've got um, solutions like uh, Wealth02 and Portfolio Cloud that do sort of things like the portfolio rebalancing stuff um, and, and they democratise access to portfolios. You've got, you know, the architects and superheroes and the, the self-wealth of the world that do the direct trading. And somewhere in between that, you've also got to go and then say, okay, well, there's about a bazillion different choices out there and what's right for you. Right, so that that part that part's missing. I think that that that'll be the next key. Thing. And James, um, as somebody who's a, uh, an, a financial advisor, you've got a bit of skin in this uh, thing. You know, this is um, 
uh, a um, technology platform that's kind of coming after your job. How do you think about it? It's not coming after my job. It's coming after the sort of the, the there's a certain section of financial advice that that wasn't. It's. It, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak. Can you, Ivan? Can it, you speak for me on this one? It, yeah. So it's not. And so we've got it within our ecosystem. We do have IFAs, and we do have advisors who go. And the thing is, is the timing of it, right? So for for advisors to go and find clients is incredibly hard, and for clients to go on and find advisors when they need them, when they're sort of in the top one percent of wealth. That's also hard because who do you go to? Do you go on the internet and go find someone, or is it do you ask someone? Go, I've got a mate. Just go, just go and knock on some doors in Mossman. Yeah, or like, like, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work that way. There's yeah, exactly. the, 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 the future and also of, moving from wherever you are currently. You yeah, know, you're getting well, you're, an, and you're getting six percent or whatever. Or you've got you've been getting six percent reliably, and somebody else is promising you seven. Oh well, there is can a nine, I be bothered. There's, there's <laughs> a nine out of ten percent chance that nine out of ten chance that. They don't have an advisor. Yeah, there, <laughs> right, there's okay. a, there's a, yeah, if they're performing that well. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the, um, the, there's a few things that are at play with this one. First off is that there's a lot of advisors that are leaving the industry right now. Um, Phasia, which, has, mm-hmm. uh, which is seeing a lot of people off. and people We've had some good banter on the um, exams. And yeah. uh, for the record, I passed it Congratulations. with one hour to spare and absolutely aced it. You, like, you, get, to, to, you get to play? I get to play. That's right, and, and a lot of people, and a lot of people are just checking out of the industry. But also, then you've got the different life cycle of the actual client. Um, you've got older clients, and generational wealth is 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 a very very interesting point that's going on in advisory right now. And then Did, you've gone. No, it's going on. Sorry. No, you no you okay. speak. Okay. No, you go. Thank you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, advisor ratings reckons that um, there's going to be about a fifty percent drop by the end of twenty three from the pre Hain uh, kind of numbers. So yep. twenty eight to 13,000. Sounds about right. So we estimated, including long lunches for, for financial planners, uh, we estimated that's about 27 million hours of advice every year taken out of the system. And so then you think about the Where are they going? Out yeah. of the industry. So they're not going anywhere. This, no, no, this where, where are the clients going? Nowhere, yeah. right? So because cost of advice is going up because there's less advisors, it's harder to service clients. It's just concentrating. And then, then you've got the regular, regulatory pressures. So you don't want to deal with anyone who's not a sophisticated 708 investor with a certificate that's current. And there it is. And so then the guys at you know, age 20 or 30 that need to actually get advice to stop spending money on shit they don't need, then uh, you know they're the ones who – Get to they need it the most, and it's the and hardest to provide it. it to them. That's all that I'll say because I, I, I may get in trouble if I keep on going. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. But but that they're is, the guys that yeah. need it the most. Yeah, Correct. Right? They've just inherited like, and they like. There's a whole generation of people who are about to inherit like a, a fair chunk of money. Well, it's going to be one of the stories of Australian society over the next uh, yeah. couple of decades. Yeah, is and the really, wealth transfer. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard to provide advice. It's really hard to provide advice, but actual. Phasia with its ethics exam is going to bring trust back into the industry and everyone's going to just go and get an advisor. Absolutely nailed it. If you want to talk about ethics, <laughs> come to James Whelan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, You're not that bad. It's okay. Um, look, this has been a fascinating, uh, a fascinating chat. Um, uh, and um, uh, Ken, um, for, from, from where you sit in Amsterdam, like all of that stuff about like this, the, all, all of these people dropping out of the industry, does that concern you at all? No, uh, not massively, to be honest. I mean, we're, we've been sort of headed down this road for a while and speaking as someone that's essentially semi-retired myself, um, yeah, I, I don't see it being a huge issue, to be honest, because 
those that are dropping out of the industry are what would probably be termed old school. The world's changed, needs of clients have changed accordingly. And the, the only thing that I'll note is this, you know, this generational wealth transfer that's, you know, seemingly imminent in Australia. Uh, nothing new under the sun. I mean, we, we, you know, everyone, everyone's essentially parked in real estate and or some mining stocks or banks, and they're just rolling portfolios into their into their children's names, which they've been doing for what two, three, four decades now. So the only difference being is that what's the legislative uh, and regulatory landscape going to look like going forward, and who's going to be the government of the day, and what are they going to do accordingly in Australia? That's probably what I'd be thinking about as far as what that wealth transfer may or may not look like. Mm. Uh, and they're, they're obviously the superannuation assets, these are, you know, we're looking at $3 trillion now uh, and growing very, very quickly. Um, the transfer so, for record is $3.5 billion, which does include real estate. $3.5 trillion. I'll take a T on that one. Advisors, actual real people, will be the specialist guys. And I think mm. that the, the, the robo stuff will be for if you want if you want advice, if you want a thing, if you want an SOA, if you want an investment plan, then there will be something that will be set for you. And our industry will be people who are actually real people dealing with people who actually need that high level of, of service. 100%. Yeah. And my platform will be giving those guys to you when they're ready. Right? Like that's that, – I look forward to it. It's good. I'm really looking forward to the episode where we talk about how useful and valuable strategy consultants are. Yeah. Um, so, um, no, no, no one ever says that. <laughs> do I get to do the ad? Can I do the ad? Yeah, of course, man. Do you want to do the ad? I'll do the ad. Here we go. Open trader for professional traders and those that want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. Open trader. How was that? That was, that was good. Yeah, I could do better. Anyway. Look, in all seriousness, uh, Ivan, uh, uh, thanks very much. Um, it's great to have um, supporters for the show. It keeps us uh, going. Um, when we were off air for a little while, we had people messaging us all the time saying, uh, where are you? Let's guys? get Ivan on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it's been uh, it's been uh, really good to have you on. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, it was great to to go through it. And yeah, it was good fun talking about your products. And uh, you know, you're obviously uh, got a business there. You got an interest in um, you know in in a uh, float and everything. So you, um, obviously, great momentum behind the business. Uh, so we wish you all the very best of luck with that. Thank you. Um, it's going to be interesting following it over um, the next year. Um, Do you assume that we're going to go bust in a year? Is that is that why it's only going to be a year? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm assuming that uh, in uh, there will be the um, you'll be ringing the bell of the ASX and something will happen uh, after that. Uh, <laughs> probably, you know. Um, uh, Buying a house in Mossman. Yeah, 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 yeah. And watching. <laughs> well, maybe you'll sell, sell down some of your steak. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, um, no, I'm not no, selling anything down. Yeah, no, in, in, in all seriousness, uh, uh, good on you. And um, it's good to see um, that kind of innovation. And obviously, um, particularly from somebody who's uh, obviously a vet- veteran of the industry as well. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's good. Um, so don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. Uh, we're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. James has a website, uh, which is now hosting all the extras we can't get to on the show, including a few trades and positions that folks might want to have a look at based on the chat here today. Um, so we're all on Twitter individually at Col. 
Volgo at James Whelan 42 and at Ken Vexler if he lets you follow him. Um, and uh, Ivan, for the third week in a row, we have a guest who's too smart to be on Twitter. So. <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. They just, well, you, get, you, you made an offer for my Twitter account. I, well, I, no, I, I said, would you sell it to me? We haven't actually talked talk, talk, talk business yet. Two beers, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done. Uh, uh, but, uh, Ken, I've been um, posting as James Will in 42. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken, great to have you back on, mate. Uh, good chatting. Likewise, and thanks. Uh, yeah, good to be back on. And Ivan, thanks for joining us. Very in- informative. Thank you. Great to meet you all. And uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show one more time. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everybody. The show is produced by Rick Salter, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.